0: This is Verso, a behind-the-scenes podcast about programs and other activities at the Barnes Foundation. Each podcast explores the rich history of the Foundation and the creative minds of the artists, thinkers, and performers who bring the Foundation's campus to life.
1: Welcome to Verso, the podcast of the Barnes Foundation. This is Catherine Scovira and Robert Whelan, co-artistic directors of music at the Barnes Foundation, Coming to you live from Media Pennsylvania with George Crum and Margaret Langtan. We're thrilled to be here with you today. Uh, George Crumb is one of the foremost influences in American music of all time and emeritus professor at University of Pennsylvania. He is a Grammy-winning Pulitzer Prize-winning composer, and we are coming to you from his backyard in Media, Pennsylvania. Margaret joins us from Brooklyn. She is uh, originally from Singapore and has received some of the highest accolades that one can receive for her work. Most recently, the Cultural Medallion of Singapore, Singapore's highest cultural accolade. She was previously the first woman to receive a doctorate in music, musical arts, from Juilliard. And she has appeared at Carnegie Hall and at the Venice Biennale as the first Singaporean performer. So, we're thrilled to have you with us today.
0: Yes, thank you for talking with us. and. Conversation is about the upcoming performance on November eighth of Professor Crumb's new work for piano, Metamorphoses. Welcome, thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. So, I think one of our very first questions begins with a quote. Is that right, Catherine?
1: That's right. We are. We were very excited to find information that might lead us to talking more about the upcoming concert on November eighth, um, which we were talking with Margaret about. It's the first major work um, for piano that that George has written in 40 years. And um, George, you've defined music as a system of proportions in the service of spiritual impulse. So what is the spiritual impulse of metamorphosis?
2: Yes, that quotation goes back quite a few years, but I think (laughs) I I could stand by it still. (laughs) Uh, I guess the the spiritual influence uh, probably was example of Mazorsky in his work, Pictures at an Exhibition. Yeah. Not too many composers, I think, have followed that uh, that idea, and uh, I've always loved the thing. The trouble is, trying to do it yourself, it can never be as good as Mazorsky. I love that piece. So that, that was really the, the, the start of it, and uh, I've, I've enjoyed paintings. I have beautiful uh, prints of books, actually, of most of the artists that are included here, just about all of them, I think.
1: It's thrilling to hear that because much of the audience listening in at the Barnes is a visual audience, Mm -hmm. and it sounds like uh, the visual component is something that's very important to this work. It's a perfect setting, the Barnes, Mm -hmm. yes. And you know, talking, uh,
3: what George just said about these paintings um, and the art books it brings back memories of when George first dropped this bombshell. Yes, it was right here in this garden in July of 2015. And that's when George very casually said, you know, I'm ready to write another major piano cycle and I'm going to make the first volume for you. Hmm. That was just, He just very casually said that. <laughs> And since the macrocosmos of the early 70s, this would be his first major piano cycle, even though he's written other works for piano in between. And we were sitting at this very table in this garden here, and he pulled out his art books and showed me the black prints of Paul Clay mm-hmm. and flipped a few pages and then showed me the goldfish of Paul Clay. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then he also showed me some sketches some um, that he had put down in his sketchbook uh, for for the Black Prince, that he had made some sketches in the um, musical ideas, so it was all really really exciting, and George treated it as if it was the most commonplace occurrence mm-hmm. in the world.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so one question I have is, you know, um, I think it's difficult sometimes for our audience that there's an expectation that when you see uh, a, a painting of some sort and then if you hear music with it, there's an assumption that there's going to be a literal telling of what's happening in the sound, but I assume that's not exactly what's happening with your piece. How would Mm -hmm. you say the relationship between the paintings and the music, uh, uh, is that you were drawing inspiration from the paintings and like the affect Uh of it, or Uh how how do you see the relationship? Uh,
2: I don't know, it's a very subtle thing because sometimes the painting in itself doesn't uh, prescribe uh, a kind of music that might, it can't be easily translated to music probably. But in a piece like the uh, Blue Rider, that's a case mm-hmm. where you know you uh, you would be remiss if you didn't have a, a little uh, reference to a horse, you know, <laughs> in, in this okay. kind of uh, mad scene, you know. Oh, the Frank Kandinsky, Frank Kandinsky Frank Blue Rider, to escape yes. escape death, you know. Yeah, uh, you know that. Uh, and uh, uh, one critic referred to that probably as a major influence in that painting. You know, mm-hmm. the the Schubert song. What's mm-hmm. that called again? The uh, Earl Koenig, yes,
3: yes, yes, that's definitely this reference to it, and also um, even in The Perilous Night of um, Jasper Johns, I I feel something of this Mm -hmm. uh, Earl Koenig feeling, because you feel this, even though it's not a direct reference, I feel it also pervades that. Mm-hmm. That painting, what your interpretation of that painting, George? Mm-hmm. Can you tell something about the persistence of memory, um, the Dali painting? Because that's a very clear example of where you've interpreted the piece in a very special, personal mm-hmm. way.
2: Well, the very title of the Dali suggested. Uh exploring my own memories, which I refer to in my notes that I've done about each of the pieces. Uh, And I uh, refer to the fact that that as a young kid, you know, I heard my father playing clarinet in the house. He He was a marvelous clarinetist. And Mozart was one of his favorite uh, composers. Mozart wrote an awful lot of beautiful clarinet and mm. everything. So I quote uh, the slow movement a little bit of the slow movement of the clarinet concerto. Uh, just the melody is kind of uh, abstracted from the, <laughs> the the whole Mozart idea. The slow it, it's just yeah, yeah, it's just the melody alone is there, and is accompanied by a different world, I think. But that's one expression of a kind of uh, personal memory that uh, I can identify with. And uh, another one would be the the, uh, the Beethoven the Beethoven A flat late late piano sonata, which was my first late Beethoven piece I ever got acquainted with. He has a pianist too. And uh, then finally, you know, a popular kind of religious song that comes from the Appalachia where I grew up. So those were my memories. Amazing
3: grace,
2: yeah. you mean? Yes, amazing yeah. grace. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's true that the painting doesn't always uh, convey something so specific that uh, music could, uh, you know, this uh, that it has to lead to a kind of music that's just. Uh, it, it has to be that way in music, you know. Some painting is uh, is motionless, you know. Um, Let's see. There must be other pieces here. Oh, that. I know.
3: Let's. I think it. Let's talk about the goldfish of Paul Clay. Well, the
2: goldfish—that's the easy one, yeah, because <laughs> that shows motion in yes. the painting.
3: But you said it was one of the hardest pieces to write. Yeah. To write because of, of the um, shadow of Debussy's mm. that, poisson d'Or that, that, looming that, over that, it.
2: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. That, that I've always admired that Debussy piece. But, uh, I think your goldfish uh, holds its own, George. <laughs> I really yeah. do. Actually, I use uh, uh, themes I used in an earlier piece, I borrowed from an earlier piece, you know, a little uh, motive, a couple of them that I uh, hmm. combined in, in that piece. But uh, the goldfish, uh, you know, the movements actually are can, can be rendered in music, and, most, and Debussy showed how that could be done. So I just followed that example spastic movements and then silence, you know, and then, you know, that sort of thing.
3: You can literally hear the choreography of the fish, the mm-hmm. flick of the tail. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite marvelous.
2: Uh-huh. Now, if you are doing a, a, a piece by Degas that has dancers in it, I suppose that would be a little easier to, to uh, <laughs> give an example for, you know, in music. It's, it's strange, but... Uh, uh, the Nocturne, of course, it's called a Nocturne. The one, what's the first part of the, the title? The Whistler. The Whistler. Uh, yeah.
3: no, nocturne in blue and gold, subtitled yeah, that's right, that's South Southampton complete title. Water.
2: So that's a nocturnal piece. That's
3: easy in music, you know. Now, that's one of the pieces that he lets me um, use a couple of um, toy percussion. We should talk about, about some, of these, uh,
1: some yeah. of these elements.
3: Can I just mention about the Whistler because it's very special. I have this toy thunder tube. Yes.
4: <laughs>
3: and it's uncannily real sound. Tell us
1: about this because I know about your 18 toy pianos but I don't mm-hmm. know and I, I don't know about this.
3: Okay, so in in um, The Nocturne by Whistler um, I use a toy version of what the adult version would be called sure a coil drum. Oh,
4: no.
3: So I have this little toy thunder tube which is a miniature version of the coil drum and it has a spring that hangs from it and I activate the spring with my hand every time George wants it in the piece and it creates this most wonderful Undercurrent mm-hmm. of uneasiness, I see. of of this mm-hmm. distant thunder, mm-hmm. you know, uh, looming on the horizon, and it sets mm-hmm. quite an atmosphere for the piece.
2: Mm-hmm. I call it a wire coil drum. There are different names for it, but it's a it's a very very uh, strange sound, and it's uh, a rather scary sound. It's mm-hmm. quite
3: quite ominous, uh-huh. and I have a toy version of toy, that, toy which sounds. Good even more <laughs> ominous um, it sounds yeah, yeah. ominous enough
4: that you know it,
3: and it's and it's easier for me to control the toy one than the big one because this... the big one makes too much noise yeah. whereas the toy one I can get it to just the right dynamic yeah, level yeah. And
1: this is the only time that we'll be hearing that sound in the entire piece?
3: Yes, just in this um, movement. This so this movement five, movement. we'll all yeah. need to listen yeah. in for the nocturne yeah.
1: blue and gold for that special moment. Uh-huh.
2: I, I would have to explain, too, that uh, this piece was custom-made for Margaret. There aren't many pianists who eventually this piece meaning metamorphosis, little instruments, <laughs> <laughs> or have a toy piano, although you've, you've, you've created a desire for a lot of pianists oh, to own Oh, yes, their own now toy other people piano. can
3: also find toy pianos, <laughs> (laughs) You know, uh, (laughs) on the internet. So it's that this piece. We see this piece has to be made playable beyond me. It's got to. It's got to have Mm -hmm. take on a life beyond me because I'm not going to be around forever. Yeah. 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 But some of the other toys, I think other people will have no trouble finding. For example, Mm -hmm. uh, in clowns at night, that's one of my favorite movements, the Chagall movement. George actually wrote that for toy piano, and adult piano combined, (laughs) plus (laughs) wind chime. Oh, the most spooky wind chime. Uh, What else does that (laughs) movement call for, George, besides the wind chime and the piano? Well, there's wood blocks. Wood blocks, uh, yes, which are placed on the metal beams inside Mm -hmm. the piano so they resonate when you hit them and they activate this really spooky sound from the interior of the piano. Just to interject
0: really briefly here, uh, the, the flipping sound that you hear in the background is... Professor Crumb flipping the pages oh. of a copy of the actual manuscript <laughs> yes. of the score which is beautiful and there's the and you hear the birds and the birds exactly <laughs> but like the thing is like uh your, your manuscript and your penmanship has such a visual element, such a strong visual element, such a character-rich visual element. It, mm. Can we talk
3: about that in a bit?
0: Yeah, of course.
3: Um, because I'd like to, to finish talking about the way he has course. used the toy piano in combination with the um, mm-hmm. adult grand piano. Of it is so spooky. It's the perfect setting for a horror movie. And we're both hoping that some movie director will will, will will pick up on it and use this as a soundtrack because it is so it is so atmospheric this piece with the wind chime and you don't know did the wind activate the wind chime or did a ghost activate the wind chime
1: <laughs> there's certainly it a precedent it's a it. presence
3: <laughs> in this piece and plus he gets me to use my voice to do sounds like this <laughs>
2: Yeah, that's the same. Yeah, he, he
3: gets me to do really spooky things with my voice.
2: That was, <laughs> if, if
3: we're showing all of
1: our interests because my next question would have been about the vocal components. So that's beautiful. Ah, okay, yeah. so, so
3: um, we'll talk about the calligraphy in a bit, but sure. let's talk about the vocal component uh-huh. in this piece. Do you want me to go on? I think we
1: absolutely should.
3: Yeah. All then, right. All right, so I, I get to use my voice in the spooky way here, but in Crow's... The Van Gogh painting,
4: mm-hmm.
3: um, wheat field with crows, or mm-hmm. crows over the wheat field. There, the are two titles for it, but it's the same, same painting. Mm-hmm. George wants me to crow, to call, mm-hmm. like. Crows do.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And I learned to do that right here in this backyard.
1: I'm hoping that we're going to be hearing. <laughs> oh, a crow. Come I on, crows, please, up. please They'll come
0: on. They were calling before. They were, were calling really, yeah, earlier. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. yeah. And I learned to call from these crows so I would go like this <clears throat> in the piece. Yes, yeah, summon them for us. Caw. <laughs> 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 and you know, I did that out front one day when I was walking down from from George's daughter Anne's house four <laughs> doors away and I thought it's awfully quiet today and I called and the crows answered me so by the time I got to George's front door they were cawing, and I, I said George you have to come out and listen to the crows I've called the crows it's it was fantastic. like a scary yeah.
2: movie, uh, you know, about the, the birds. Hitchcock. The birds, the Hitchcock.
1: Oh, <laughs> <exactly>. <laughs> I, 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 I did my version of calling birds. I have a terrible side story about about first noticing that film, first watching that film, yeah. and I walked home and there were about 300 seagulls <laughs> that, oh. that were in the trees above me. Yeah. And I walked under the trees, and I will never forget th- that experience. So mm-hmm. we, will, we will absolutely hope for that experience in the third movement of crows. Well, that, <laughs> this There's
2: piece. one part of the experience you might want to avoid, but...
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, we're showing all of our different interests, but we are sitting here with two composers, so we, we, have, to, we have to talk about the visuals of this score.
2: So, Margaret, in several places all through this uh, piece, uh, has to do vocal sounds. Mm -hmm. She sings, she hums, she shouts. She uh, has to speak in Tahitian. Oh, yes.
3: Manna o tutapao.
0: What does that
4: mean? Spirit
3: of the Dead watching. Spirit of the Dead watching. And that piece is actually very atmospheric and very dramatic and which, theatrical. Which the, um The Gauguin. Here it is. Um, Compe Compe ba, Primitive Tales, which is a painting about the South Seas <laughs> and the women in <laughs> the South Ba-Bau. Seas.
4: It's beautiful. Yeah, here Mercated. it is
2: right here in the footnote. The titian to means spirit of the dead, and manao means spirit of the dead watching. Wow. Uh, you so, know. Does the
0: piano and, answer Are they the spirit? Ah, of the- that <laughs> one.
3: The <laughs> piano uh, we use. The device you're A device. Your a device. It's, it's a felt strip mounted onto a piece of wood, and I mute whole clusters with that, yeah,
4: that happens as
3: here, I, so as I as I declaim these words uh-huh. you know there's a lot of recitative mm-hmm. in a declamatory way very dramatic
4: uh-huh.
2: here's a whole uh, I've met several measures of that oh, uh, going on beautiful. the string. Yeah. And
3: it, and it culminates of... with me yelling, yeah. Manna o tu pa Yeah. <laughs>
2: nah. And it covers about two <laughs> octaves of earth. It's a chromatic cluster. It must yeah. cover about two octaves or an octave uh, and a half. I would
3: say an octave and a half at yeah. max, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Yep.
2: So... <laughs> All of these things I was able to use. Oh, I wanted to show you one other thing, uh, just my own. Clowns at Night is one of my most yeah. favorite paintings, of all paintings. It's just the spookiest painting. That's so my I, favorite
4: movement of I criticize. have my I own so. thing
2: here. I call it a ballet grotesque for circus folk and poltergeist.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> the poltergeist, of course, is the wood blocks, uh-huh. which occur later, right
3: here. <laughs> little passage for the wood blocks with the voice going Ooh.
4: Yeah.
3: <laughs> and you see he's written me a cadenza, a for, the cadenza for the
2: toy piano <laughs> and Margaret uh, plays the left hand is on the big piano the right hand
4: is on and the piano and the wire
3: whisk right don't forget the wire whisk George oh. the wire whisk that caresses the strings in clowns at night oh. remember I caressed the strings Yes. There. Uh, While the left hand is playing these chords, the right hand is oh, sure, sh- is yeah. caressing wire, the wire strings wire brush,
2: uh, uh, sometimes middle finger. Uh, these are, yeah, uh, you know, the caressing is a good word here. It's exactly. What it
1: is. Maybe we should talk a little bit more about how the how the piano is. Um, well, it's so fascinating I he, think,
0: because uh, this piece is asking you to be. In it. German, yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. a percussionist, percussionist yeah. a pianist, a vocalist, a, vocalist, vocalist, a toy pianist, a dramatist.
3: Yeah, right. yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, you have to well, be a jack of, of all trades. <laughs> Would you say that there's uh, a theatrical experience that the audience should, should have with this piece? Uh, you I, know I think right? yeah, it's probably Absolutely. unavoidable. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So it's uh, because the paintings are dramatic. Mm-hmm. And to realize and do all these things, it involves a certain physical physicalness on my part, a physicality on my part, which involves also choreography and standing up knowing when to stand, when to play inside the piano, when to be, to uh-huh. make these gestures and when to sit uh-huh. and when to lean in so that the mics catch my voice. Yeah. The whole thing is a very, um, I would say choreographed, theatrical experience for me, three-dimensional mm-hmm. really, mm-hmm. Uh, sculpting the space beyond just being, just being Pianist. Yeah. <laughs> In the old fashioned sense of being a pianist. <laughs> I think In
2: that's... fact, there are a lot of pianists who couldn't touch the piece because they wouldn't have the dramatic uh, sense and uh, the ability to project this so other, you know.
3: Thing. But they would learn to do it. And I'm uh, ready to give coaching lessons yeah, if anybody yeah, wants I'll to learn how to do this stuff and how to use, you know, the voice to make crowing sounds. Yeah,
4: yeah. <laughs>
1: Well, that sounds like that's the responsibility of why we do contemporary music and why it's so important to, to carry it forward. Because to stretch the vocabulary without, of our instruments. Without yes. these composers and these performers and this uh, dynamic and advocacy, it wouldn't be possible to to accomplish this.
3: Right. I'd like to say that this is also one of the rare, rare pieces by George that ends full and loud hmm. and dramatic with yeah. a bang.
1: That's a that's a very important that's distinction very when we look at for George. when we look at um, this incredible compositional history that we draw from.
2: Yeah, this is the Blue Rider movement, and uh, it's uh, it's driving the whole way. You know,
3: and it culminates with a rubber mallet mm. on the yeah. bass strings, mm. with the right hand hitting the uh, the the bass strings of the rubber mallet, whilst the left hand is playing all these deep bass. Melodic mm-hmm. yeah. patterns and it makes wow. such a racket.
4: Mm-hmm. It's, like God, a trip it, it, it's like waking the dead.
2: This particular
3: yeah. It's like waking the dead. The
2: piano wants to explode at this point.
1: And here, notated at the very end of the score, Media, Pennsylvania, January 10, 2017. Yes. How thrilling. Uh.
2: That's when he finished.
3: Just thrilling. It took a year and a half. Wow. Yeah, it out over a good
2: amount of time.
3: It Writing. was a wonderful back and forth process for me because George would give me a movement since I live in New York it's not terribly far away I would go back and learn it and about a month later or thereabouts I would bring it back and play it for George and I'd love to see the the excitement and the expression on George's face hearing his music mm-hmm. being played for the first time mm-hmm. and then he felt compelled to to deliver me another movement that I could take back to learn. So this kept him on his toes.
1: (laughs) 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 I mean, it's incredible, this much material in in such a time.
0: So why did you choose to end the the cycle with the Blue Rider?
1: Yeah, why, George? Uh,
0: Well,
2: I'm not sure exactly. I I mapped out a psychological sequence of all the paintings and, and tried to think, could that work musically, that particular... Structure. Can, can you go
1: a, into detail on that? That's fascinating.
2: Well, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a problem for every composer, even with non uh, <laughs> non-dramatic works. <laughs> I think uh, to, to make a musical structure work, it has to uh, move through different kinds of uh, meanings, and yet it all has to be logical. It, it has to make a form. The right. most difficult aspect in writing music is making a form mm-hmm. that's convincing, you know, that projects. And uh, usually I, I have very few pieces, two or three pieces only, that end loud, you know, and this <laughs> seemed to be one that had to end that loop.
0: We were, we were chatting about Bruckner before, mm-hmm. and sometimes how his structures can feel a little square or something like that. Do you find that there's a diff- how do you balance the flow? or could you talk maybe about each movement and how you see the flow of the piece? Yeah, going but it's an no
2: ongoing process, and, and sometimes I backed up and said, this doesn't work here, and this, I, I readjusted uh, even the sequence of a couple of pieces. And uh, uh, Margaret had a very late, uh, late in the process, she says, George, you've got to set this uh, piece uh, by uh, the, the painting, you've got to oh, use that Oh, the Jasper painting. Johns. Jasper right. Johns. Well,
3: you weren't very convinced about using the another Dali piece in the cycle, The uh-huh. Shades of Night Descending, uh-huh. so you were open to the idea of substituting yeah. something else. Oh, here it is, yeah. And then I thought, well, we've only got one American painter uh-huh. in the whole cycle, the Whistler, see, so <laughs> um, I thought that I would um, suggest some another American painter actually this Jasper Johns is the only living painter in the entire cycle Mm -hmm. all the others are are dead. He's and my he age, isn't
2: he? Precisely my Exactly your age. Yeah,
1: yep. Yeah. And he has a quite a quite a connection actually to another one of the composers that's on this concert. John Cage. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, sure. John Cage's Perilous Night mm-hmm. music from nineteen forty-four mm-hmm. is what inspired the Jasper Johns series of Perilous Night paintings in the eighties and nine and nineteen ninety. So that's a very strong connection there. And I love the idea of John Cage inspiring Jasper Johns and Jasper Johns inspiring George Crumb. Uh, it works two, both directions. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm I, opening the concert with John Cage's to painting, *Perilous and Night*. Painting back to music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, music to painting back to music. And I'm opening the concert with John Cage's *Perilous Night* to set the context. And I'm thrilled. And I'm going to say this with great um, egotism <laughs> that I and the glue <laughs> <laughs> I
4: that's it binding did it. it all together
3: because I knew George I know, I know George Crum, I knew John Cage mm-hmm. and I know Jasper Johns and he mm-hmm. made The Perilous Night for me
4: yeah, and we I didn't know the this. piece, yeah.
2: and Margaret said, I'm not going to play this piece for mm-hmm. you till you finish your own piece. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very very good.
3: That's crucial. Yes, I didn't really want real. George to be influenced by Cage's Perilous Night, so he never got to hear the piece until after he'd finished his own Perilous that's Night. That's so
1: important. It's incredible when you're workshopping with a composer and you want to know what's what the output will be, and you don't, in a way you are involved in, in shaping it very intimately, but there's a very fine balance between mm. between that. So I, I think it's incredible how you tied this program together and how you're showcasing George's work.
0: So Margaret, what was the, why this specific painting?
1: Yes. Why this
3: specific painting? Well, because it's such a musically inspired piece mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I thought it would be wonderful to um, somehow bring it full cycle. Yeah. yeah. Also, yeah. did
2: you mention that you own uh, it's a series of
3: paintings? Yes, a series of four perilous night she paintings. One of and <laughs> one of them was made for me by Jasper Johns, yeah. and I'm hoping Jasper Johns will come to the concert and hear how
1: his painting has inspired George's
3: music.
1: Let's talk. He knows bit. about it, yeah, yeah. Yeah. and I hope he'll
3: come. Yes. Yeah. Let's
1: talk a little bit more about uh, about how this is visually so compelling the actual manuscript because we we while we can't show it on a podcast it's it's absolutely stunning how it's been notated Mm
4: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: this is this is an age of uh so much technology Mm. um what's it like what's it like in this age having this incredible manuscript in front of you yes And, and then to george we'll have some questions about the actual notation because right. there's so much that goes into publishing a score and formalizing it.
0: And there's an act of resistance, actually, not to have it engraved, in a way. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm.
1: Yes, George's
3: scores are published by They're C.F. this in fact, yeah, They don't oh, have to do anything. Exactly. <laughs> yes. And I'd like to say that in writing this piece for me, jo- uh, George showed me his sketchbooks and then how he transferred them when he copied them, mm-hmm. you know, every note onto onto manuscript paper where he even drew the lines himself Mm -hmm. because of the certain spacing he Mm -hmm. needs Um, for the staves he cannot use standard printed manuscript paper so George is a real craftsman who works from absolute square one scratch where he even draws his own lines Mm -hmm. and then He writes it out painstakingly. How long does it take you, for example, to copy out Perilous Night, George? You
2: think you're a medieval monk and you're going to live forever. You know, you're in your cell and you're you're (laughs) doing one note at a time. Yeah, it's one note at a time. Psychologically, that's what you
3: have to have. How long did it take George to to copy out Perilous Night? Because there's a lot of notes in Perilous Night. It took a whole
2: whole, uh, uh, day's work just to do a page. Or or, or two days. Mm -hmm. Yeah, two days sometimes.
1: I would uh, crumble. I would crumble under the pressure of uh, a drop of ink or a slip of the hand or the phone rings. Or... Ah, but that's white-out. Uh, <laughs> George loves white-out. There's, there's,
2: there's white-out. Uh, that's Japanese, too, the kind I use. It's the best I've ever seen. Let's,
1: let's talk about that because we haven't... We what haven't did you call oh. white-out? A composer's
3: what? Um, uh, best friend or something. But uh, what did friend.
2: you call it? No. Of course, uh, you know, of course Beethoven might have been right. He said, you know, life is too short to make pretty pictures with your notes. You know, he didn't have white like out. That, he <laughs> said,
1: Well, he never saw your scores. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well.
0: no,
3: it's really calligraphy on the highest level. Mm.
0: Yeah. So do you find that there's something about the process of writing things out that informs how you write the piece? Do you write at the piano mm-hmm. or do you write as you're... As as you're writing things out or do you uh, I'll things? show
2: you my room because I have a swivel chair at the moment I don't have the swivel chair placed there <laughs> but it's the desk is here the piano is on the other side I swivel around normally and then, then go back and forth because uh, in, in uh, developing a piece a lot of it is improvisation at the piano that was Beethoven's method remember he had a student coming he said, a piano student coming he said, I can't see you today I've just found the finale for the uh, Passenata Sonata. And I've got to, got to work it out on piano, you know, with, with my fingers. I think composition comes from that as, as much as anything else. Proving, you, yeah,
3: um, you know. The tactile sense does inspire you. Yeah, you
2: know, and then you go to a sketch paper, and, and it's a an very slow process.
0: Beethoven was also a prolific reviser, and she- He sketched a lot. Yes, he
2: sketched, and sometimes his sketches, first ideas are so primitive. We wonder how they converted to these great ideas in a symphony, you know. They're all out of kilter and so forth. Hmm. Yeah, he did that a lot. Hmm.
0: Margaret, what's your experience of interacting with the manuscript and seeing it in George's own hand? And does that change how you? Work when you well, I'm in here.
3: awe of his manuscripts because I know how much, you know, labor, intensive labor went into the writing of them, and I'm, I am the humble recipient of this largesse. You see, I, I, I feel, um, you know, this is funny, going back and forth with George. George mm-hmm. is wonderfully open. He's wonderfully open to suggestions from me. Um, for example, sometimes. He gives me the copied-out score. It's all finished already. And I think, oh, God, I hate to bring this up with George because he's going to have to make some changes to that gorgeous manuscript. I hate to put him through several that.
2: Several pages I made yeah. changes. for from, example,
3: like for, for, uh, Clowns change. at Night, you know. Yeah. Um, he wrote the bass register with strums, and there's a beam right there that cuts right through his yeah. strum, yeah. and it ain't going to work. Yeah. So I have to go back and tell George... I hate to tell you this, George, but you're either going to have to rewrite this passage or think of some solution because mm-hmm. that strum isn't going to work. Mm-hmm. Physically, it's just impossible.
4: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I
3: had given George, by the way, let me side, uh, uh, digress for a minute. I had given George a diagrammatic interior of a Steinway concert grand, a oh, nine-foot so concert somebody. grand, mm-hmm. to show him and to remind him where the beams intersect because it's a completely Mm -hmm. different uh, architectural layout than the model M the small piano Steinway that he has which gives you the ability to strum across wide swathes of it (laughs) and that isn't going to happen uh, on a larger piano and so I wanted George to be mindful of this and sometimes George we get carried away and forget to look at the
4: the little, little diagram
3: true, yeah. and then I'd come back and say George, you've been a bad boy yeah. because <laughs> you were didn't several. you didn't consult <laughs> the, the diagram yeah. and it's now cool. you know, you've copied it all out and those drums aren't going to work so George <laughs> thought, oh my goodness what are we going to do and he was so ingenious so instead of strumming across the C sharp to G sharp, that fifth
4: mm-hmm.
3: because the beam's right there he said, oh, let's just invert it and go down to the low G sharp mm-hmm. and the C and then we can circumvent the beam mm-hmm. and the strums work fine mm-hmm. and you know oh, no no it was it was it was um i can't remember which way around it was let me have a look ah that was the um clowns at night mm-hmm. so this mm-hmm. is the final version and mm-hmm. the strums uh, had to Ah, uh, the that. fourth. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They, 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 he had written the fifth C uh-huh. sharp to G sharp, and I said, "Can't work." So he re- put the G sharp an octave lower and made them into fourths, uh-huh. and that's mm-hmm. how we got rid of the mm-hmm. of the the, the dilemma. Mm-hmm. And that was an easy fix. He didn't have to rewrite this, you know, and change a lot. Mm-hmm. He just had to white out the top G sharp, and put it down an octave. So that was very very um, fortuitous. But George came up with solutions for things like this when I, I pointed out the yeah. physical impracticality Margaret of it.
2: insists she wants to play on the large, standway. That well, could... that's
3: what you're going to get in the major concert hall yeah. if you're any pianist worth your salt, right? That's what you're well, going to so have to contend with. Most pianists,
2: uh, they, they, change, they, they use true. smaller instruments probably for some The B would be the yeah. next
3: possible in a smaller hall. Yeah. But most pianists would be having to play this piece on a nine-foot concert yeah, grand. Yeah. So that's what you have to keep in mind. Yeah. And what I was so amazed was I asked mm-hmm. George... When you composed the Metamorphoses for Robert Miller Uh and for David Burge, volumes one and. Mm -hmm. uh, Volumes one was for David Burge, volume two was for Robert Miller. What
2: do you mean, the. uh, The uh, the Macrocosmos. Macrocosmos.
3: I said, did you work with them? Uh And he said, no, he just delivered the piece complete when Uh he had finished it. And you know, I said, by God, you're lucky, George, because somehow it all works on a concert grand, and you made it on your Model M, and, wow. and you could have had this yeah. very you know, serious problem of strumming across a beam, mm. but fortunately, it didn't come up. So good. thank your lucky stars, George, yeah. that it
0: all That's worked
2: incredible. out. That's incredible. There was some luck there involved.
0: Yeah. yeah. So, uh, with the premiere of this piece and also the performance of the Barnes, there will be Projections of the paintings. Oh yes, this yes. is
3: another element that we was not in the world premiere at the National Gallery, but will be of part Art, of this. And neither was it at the Holland Festival for the European premiere. This will be the first time that the projections, oh, the paintings were always projected mm-hmm. in in both performances. That don't yes. get me wrong, the the paintings were always projected, but mm-hmm. in this particular performance at the bars, it will be for the first time Oops, that the projections will fade into these beautiful um, visuals. What I, To put it in a nutshell, um, for convenience, I call it sonic, I call it creative wallpaper mm-hmm. by Monica Duncan, a wonderful <laughs> video artist who has made these beautiful backgrounds um, as I don't use that word anymore now, but at the beginning I said, Monica made me some creative wallpaper so that the paintings would fade into black and then we wouldn't be staring at a black screen you know, for the next few minutes. Mm-hmm. And, she's, and I said, whatever you do, you must never overwhelm the um, music uh, with your... The visuals that they become a distraction. They must always be tasteful and elegant, and she has made a most wonderful, complementary um, uh, visual component that has been inspired by George's music and the original paintings. And I, I'm thrilled that with what she's done is, in fact, turned out even better than I thought would be the result when I ask her to do this so I'm thrilled.
1: So we'll see this for the first time at the Philadelphia premiere.
3: Yes it'll be a very special premiere because mm-hmm. it's got something that the other premiers don't have. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And so in the event that this work is recorded I don't know if I don't want to ask if there are plans for that but. Uh, ah
3: yes there are plans to be recorded with ah. George's um, label Bridge Records. Okay. They're mm-hmm. going to make both a CD and DVD because the work is so visual, pianistically it's so visual, but whether we include Monica's projections is, is something we haven't discussed yet, yeah, I, but I just Margaret the pianistical it well,
2: Margaret did my, both Mike Rosmo's <laughs> books on, on a, with a visual thing, you know, DVD.
3: DVD and CD. Yeah, I'm very right. proud to say that there's over 20 recordings on CD now of George's Macrocosmos 1 and 2 and mine is the only DVD of it that exists of the Macrocosmos Mm -hmm. 1 and 2.
0: The question uh, George is uh, do you feel like um, the experience of this piece should always include the paintings as well or do you think if someone can... uh, uh,
2: I I really haven't thought too much about it I I, I think it's nice to have the paintings just so, so that
3: because that's the inspiration yeah, they, can yeah. be,
2: they can be uh, referred to that and, and maybe they don't know the paintings some of them yeah. well they're, they're famous paintings but everybody can't know every painting you know? <laughs> I'd like to mention that the
3: German premiere of Metamorphosis this October will be in donau Eschingen. Um, the big music festival, Donald Eschgen Music Days. Don, um,
2: she's playing it three times in one I'm playing one it three day. times in it's one day. It's <laughs> a 40-minute work. She's doing it three times. And, it's, and the concerts
3: have been sold out since yeah. July. But for that, they have gotten permission to reproduce all the 10 paintings in the program wow. because the concert will take place in an art gallery in oh. daytime, because I'm doing it three times, mm-hmm. and it'll be in broad daylight, so you cannot project oh. effectively. So they, as an alternative, are wow. printing. <laughs>
4: yeah.
2: the oh, I'd like to paintings. have a copy of that. Of movie. course, George. <laughs> They're printing in full color, yeah, so wow, I'm going to bring wow. back
3: wow. copies for you. Oh, that would be wonderful. <laughs> you know, I'd like to also mention George's wonderfully, wonderfully vivid descriptions um, <laughs> for each piece. Uh, where you know where you normally have a tempo indication, well, George very often has a tempo indication. Like for the persistence of memory, he mm-hmm. he he uses the Italian, lent, how would you say, lentamente, lentamente, lentamente. Thank you. But he also writes shadowy, dreamlike. Mm-hmm. He will also always add a, a des- descriptive. Um, couple of words after he's put it and some of them are quite wonderful but, but look at the you first tell one. that one yeah. George for the black prince which but, opens
2: uh, I say boldly with smoldering intensity
3: <laughs> isn't that but, wonderful
1: but, but with some flexibility <laughs> but, but with some flexibility <laughs> yeah.
3: yes yeah, um, yeah. And, and the clowns at night where he has a subtitle a ballet grotesque for circus folk and poltergeist yeah. he <laughs> also puts beneath that in a lazy blues tempo Languid, seductive, Mm -hmm. ghostly. I have to think about how those all relate, especially with
1: the Chagall painting. That's wonderful.
3: See, I put
2: those on if the music stinks. I'd like if people could admire (laughs) them.
1: So (laughs) we've included
3: all all these adjectives (laughs) in the program itself Mm -hmm. so that the audience can also enjoy these wonderful phrases from George. They're in the program. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: Well, you know, the other nice thing is that if if there are any questions, you can always call and ask. That's what's so lovely about about. having Good. A, <laughs> the workmanship yep. right here yeah <laughs> no that's wonderful i i'm enjoying just looking at the manuscript itself because you can see the texture and the handwriting and where this note was filled out and that each one has been done so painstakingly mm. carefully <laughs> you. you know you should see george's original
3: manuscript of this mm-hmm. george can i run and get your original manuscript well has that because then mm-hmm. you can see all his whiteouts and all his—you can see all the blood, oh, sweat, and tears yeah. that went into oh, yeah, it. Because this is a Xerox; of you don't see all the blood, oh, sweat, and tears. Yeah, yeah. Can I? Can I show well, that? We
2: can go in my room afterwards if they want to see
3: uh, I
1: think oh, set oh, set I, up, I only know. wish we could show it on the podcast. Oh, that's right! Oh, that's right! I forgot. This is a podcast, so 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 we
3: can't see them. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I clean really forgot that there is no visual <laughs>
0: yeah. chance Uh-oh. to show this. Uh, very. Lucky. <laughs> so with the other pieces on the how do you see this work interacting with the other pieces on the program mm. the cowl? Yeah.
3: it's all very organic don't you think starting with so think. with, it is. with uh, the with the uh, Paris uh, night of cage the to the set the context would have been
2: historically the first i, I guess uh, uh, in, in experimentation with unconventional ways to use yes. the piano and then the john cage of course with the uh, special uh,
3: Prepared piano. Yeah, prepared piano, thanks. Yeah. See, what I wanted to do with this program, the program is actually called Cage, Cowell, Crumb. It's the three C's, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> Pioneers of the avant-garde piano. So that states immediately the the the, the context for the the concert, and. um as the reviewer, one of the reviewers said about the Holland Festival concert, that the concert spans exactly 100 years. Mm. I wasn't aware that it goes from the earliest cowl piece, the Tides of Manonon, mm-hmm. 1917, mm-hmm. to George Crumb, Beautiful. 2017. Mm-hmm. I didn't yeah. realize it was it's so, another, uh, you know, <laughs> a, um, a tidy, a century worth of music okay. span. Oh, yeah. And so the cowl pieces, the four cowl pieces that I will play, uh, the of Mananon would be the earliest mm-hmm. of the cowl pieces for extended piano. It involves these massive arm, forearm <laughs> clusters, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and also advertisement, um, which is for fingers, fists, and palm clusters. Mm-hmm. That's a virtuoso piece in clusters. And then you have his string piano pieces, which are remarkable. The Aeolian Harp from 1923, and the Banshee from 19, <laughs> um, 1925. And that is really radical because Ooh. that is played from the crook of the piano. <laughs> How many pieces right.
0: yeah. sin,
3: you know, are made <laughs> from the crook of the piano? Not until Kirk Ganru, the Chinese composer, made for me his ancient music, the pipa movement is played from strumming the strings standing at the crook of the piano. So mm. he got inspired by Carl. but I know no other piece that's made to be played from the crook of the piano. Mm-hmm. So here we have these That's string the piano pieces. the crook is Yeah, where it curve. curves around, where you stand where the in there. Where the
2: soprano stands when you're accompanying a singer, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> That's where the soprano is. Yes, where the soprano stands. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
3: So I've appropriated that place, that spot where the soprano stands to play the, the cowl, mm-hmm. uh, string piano pieces. And then you have the prepared piano of Cage where it's played from the keyboard once you've put in all the really? preparations in the piano, which in this case is bolts, screws, uh, pieces of rubber, felt, and bamboo. It's quite an assortment to create a a percussion player under the
0: control of a single player. What's fascinating about the cage-prepared piano pieces for me is that people often uh, are struck by the novelty of whatever you're sticking into the piano, but it's all to the effect of the timbre of the sound. It's very Gamelan-esque. It's very
3: Gamelan-esque, yes,
0: yes. the, but the cowl is coming from a totally different universe, and yeah. I, I'm yes, thinking, inspired
3: by, by by Irish mythology. Right. You know, it's a completely um, mm-hmm.
0: different take. But mm-hmm. he would have. I'm trying to think. He wouldn't have had any interaction with any of the like, Italian futurists or any of that sort of thing, like where they were making music with like very sort of like the school noise. of noise. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, he was born in
3: 1895, so he would have been in his. And, and he did go to Russia mm-hmm. In, mm-hmm. as a young man, so he may very well have had you know because he was old enough by then um, and he did go to Russia, so it's a possibility. that's an interesting question you brought yeah, up right there I don't where know the it, where answer it all came from, exactly yeah. it. <laughs> Well, you see the mm-hmm. thing is he had also heard Chinese opera oh. when he was growing up in Chi- Chinatown. so that opened his ears already and don't forget his classes at the new school in the 1930s. Yes. John Cage attended. Mm. and these classes in world music before the word world music was, as a concept was even invented mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so that's where Cage first heard the, the, the gamelan through the, the recordings of Erich von Hornbostel, the German musicologist he heard the Definitely. gamelan and so Cage had already these sounds in the back of his mind and his subconscious mm-hmm. so when he created the prepared piano you know uh, uh, there's some connection there though George though the John always liked to say he was he did he was not influenced by like Gamelan because it made him more original. You see, mm-hmm. to say that this came right out of, but he was inspired by by Cowell's uh, experiments inside the piano because when he invented the piano the the prepared piano out of necessity, he was <laughs> reminded of Cowell's experiments playing on the strings of the piano, and John Cage said he put a pie plate on the strings, but it bounced around too much. Then he tried putting a screw, but it slipped right through, and then he put a bolt and it stayed in place. Mm -hmm. So you see the the genesis of of the prepared piano. Mm -hmm. And I would like very much to point out with George, and this is where even the New York Times has mistakenly um, called all this interior piano work prepared piano, yes. but George is not preparing the piano. Right. He doesn't wedge things between mm-hmm. the strings. You know, George applies objects to the strings,
4: mm-hmm. whether it's a
3: wire brush,
4: mm-hmm. yeah,
3: mm-hmm. or a mallet, a rubber mallet, or a chain,
4: yeah, or a chain dropping
3: on the strings, or a piece of paper buzzing mm-hmm. on the strings. He's applying objects, but he's not permanently fixing them inside the piano the way John Cage does with the prepared piano. And this is a very clear distinction, George. Jo- George and I have talked about that even the New York Times confuses and lumps it
1: all as prepared piano, no, and that's incorrect.
3: Prepared, no. I'm so
1: glad that you're making that distinction for yeah. all of us as we're going into a concert that has these three C's. Yes,
3: doing different things. Yes, very And, and people just lump it all as prepared piano, and it's not. Mm-hmm.
2: You know, when I first went into my own way of using piano, with the five pieces which you've played? Yes.
4: The early, hardest on. piece you ever wrote, George. It is, it is <laughs> the hardest piece. Oh God, piece, that is a
2: But I hadn't heard anything by either of the Cage or Cowell. You knew about them, right? I knew that such things existed, but I hadn't heard them. I don't think there were recordings that early. Well, back then
3: in the early 60s when you first wrote, you know, five pieces for piano, even if they were recorded they weren't widely Generally accessible available. yes yeah. and you know Cowell coined the phrase string piano in the 1930s for what he was doing playing mm-hmm. directly on the piano strings that's what he he meant um, string piano is just his term for playing directly on the piano strings mm-hmm. and your music George is for string piano
4: mm-hmm. you know it's mm-hmm. not for
3: prepared piano it's string piano that's that right, you're writing That's for. right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad we cleared up that confusion. Yes. <laughs> I think yeah, it's, it's right. very yeah. important because yeah,
1: it's, it's, uh, it's still um, a knowledge that's growing. Well,
0: I think what's also important to stress, and maybe this will have a uh, resonance with our visual arts audience, which is it seems like you approach an instrument as a canvas and mm. that you, mm-hmm. you give the fullest extent of your imagination to that and Mm -hmm. that you're not limited by any mechanical function of the instrument, necessarily, within Uh reason, uh, to achieve the goals that you're after. That's
2: true. I think, you know, through the history of music, that's always been, the composers were always pushing out in different ways, Uh, not to the extent of reaching inside and playing the piano like a harp, but, uh, you know, when new keys were added, the registers expanded, Brahms, his piano style is not like Beethoven. He loved the lower, you know, he loved the extreme registers. Mm-hmm. And uh, all those things uh, were, it was always changing. Do you know there's a passage in one of the Beethoven quartets that's marked, uh, what, what's the term again when it's uh, up close to the bridge? There, there's a, an Italian term uh what's that mean you you, oh, you so bow ponticella. very close huh yeah, a ponticella. A ponticella. he has it he used it in one one of his works yeah. <laughs> it's one of the late string quartets has a Pont- ponticella passage mm-hmm. no, nobody probably knew what that was <laughs> at that time right and he uh, uh incidentally being a percussionist beethoven was one of the most imaginative in his use of the timpani other yes. composers didn't uh, Write solos. solos for the timpani. I mean, virtual solos, you know.
0: <laughs> I would I would argue that the the symphonies are actually timpani concertos. In some <laughs> <ways>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right.
2: But he was so imaginative. Those things were always expanding. I think it still goes on, and Bartok transformed everything.
1: Well, know. that was a major influence for you. The microcosmos, was, macrocosmos. So Here we are today. When I was
2: in college, I was rewriting Bartok. Until you found of, your own
1: voice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: Somebody said that about uh, you know the the, uh, the Hungarian composer um, Ligeti. Ligeti. Mm-hmm. Uh, he uh, uh, what was what was the point I was going to make? Uh, I was not thinking <laughs> was his name, I forgot the point. What were we talking?
1: Exploration yeah, right. of sound yeah. Exploration and percussion
2: of sound. as well. Yeah.
1: Oh, the the timpani concerto. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, well,
2: yeah, yeah. Well, slipped the press. It probably wasn't it so important if I forgot it right away. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, isn't that something? It just slips out of my. Life. Well, none That's of this. The age. Did. That's the age. That's yeah. age.
1: None of this did. You have notated it so carefully. <laughs> right, right. We have yeah, a. Yeah. a Can I bring
3: up a subject that? Um, is, to me, a very important, underlying component of this concert, which is very central to both Cage and Crumb, is the sense of time and space, and the the use of space in George's music, and in in Cage's music when it's well done. Space in the in the writing of the music, whether it's silence mm-hmm. or the sense of the distance between notes being a living space, and I think this is something that, that I'd like to mention a little bit because with Cage, it came out of this Japanese concept because he was very into Asian mm-hmm. um, Asian uh, philosophies, Asian aesthetics, mm-hmm. and so many people consider George Crumb's music also very Asian in a certain sense in his use of space mm. as a living entity mm. yeah whereas in, in Japanese culture what is central to the the um, aesthetic thinking is that time and space exist as inseparable coincidental entities and this is summed up in the Japanese word ma ma which actually comes from the Chinese um, uh, thinking that they made into a very Japanese concept of, of space. Um, a, the distance between two points is the interval that spans these two points. And that interval is called ma. That two points and the interval spanning it is ma, which seems such a simple concept. But that this interval is not dead space. It's alive, is living, it's filled completely um, as Um, and that where time and space are one, that you cannot separate time and space because time is continuous, but that living space is also continuous. So this sense, when translated into music, to understand John Cage's music, especially his later works, you have to understand the central concept of Ma. And he even used space-time notation in his later works where he would literally say... One centimeter equals one quarter note. So there, he was using space in the, you know, in his scores as a way of notation that that combine both physicality of space and time as one. And so George's music is again this feeling, this this the way George uses space, and there's a lot of space in George's music, but you feel it in a three-dimensional sense, like in how in No Theatre. The aura that surrounds yeah. the the actor, that is a living space, mm. that aura. You have to, to think in those terms to play George's music and translate this Japanese concept to, mm-hmm. to really understand George's music, which is three-dimensional, and Cage's music. Mm. So I, I just wanted to mention that. Mm. And I think because I am Asian and I have a sense of this ingrained in me, where it's even beyond words, the understanding of it is—it's it's like a subconscious understanding of it. I—I I think I bring that to my interpretation of Crumb, and Cage, and and, and Cowell too. And and I think that's why George, and, and and Cage like what I do with their music because I have this innate understanding of this very subtle concept, which is not easy to explain mm-hmm. to Western performers.
2: Well, that, that was a definite in- influence for me. You know, as a student uh, in Ann Arbor, Michigan, mm-hmm. uh, all the people, my fellow students, we were listening to recording of Asian, African, South American, everything we could find. And our teachers uh, didn't do that. They, they They didn't even support it. This was before there was such a thing as as really uh ethnomusicology it was before the age of ethnomusicology (laughs) but i I think i've never forgotten some of those images that i picked up then
3: because asian music is linear you know western music is harmonic it's vertical Uh whereas asian music is linear so it moves through time and space Mm -hmm. and i think that's what you got from it that triggered off this 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 feeling of the space being alive Mm -hmm. in your music
2: And I remember many of my fellow students, too, that we we loved this stuff, and our teachers, they they had no interest at all, this was something, and there were beautiful recordings, this would have been in the 1950s, there Mm. were already beautiful recordings that covered the whole planet, you know, Africa and everything.
3: And it wasn't even until the 80s that the concept of world music really took off, yeah. you yeah. see?
1: And an yeah. amazing resource that we have now and that we can look so much up online, yes. but we can't necessarily experience it in the same way well. because we can't seek it out well. in this way.
0: Well, and the concept, I mean, when you're dealing with a world that is completely connected to the Internet and that you have literally no travel time between A and B, the concept mm-hmm. of Ma yes, is pretty right. foreign. And the idea yeah, that's yeah. Yeah. right. The idea of a of culture that uses the phrase killing time. Oh, God. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, something, an experience like this is something that is, uh, is it an anathema to that. Yeah. Exactly. Well, nowadays
2: yeah I... we can hear foreign films and hear the, the you know, weird, mm. uh, formerly unknown instruments playing in the background to the film right. score. Yes. You know, big,
3: the film's I'd just like to say one other thing in, con- in, in relation to what I was just yeah. talking about this thing of, of the living space you see, the, one of the fundamental concepts underlying Chinese and Asian music is the living essence of every tone mm. and this living essence of every tone, I feel is what pervades totally permeates George's music mm. the li- and, and, and also Cage's music with the prepared piano the living essence of every tone you know, is, I think central to understanding the music of Asian mm-hmm. you know,
4: crime Asian
3: music, I think because it is yeah. so focused on that mm-hmm. uh if you if you are Asian, you will hear Western music in a different way,
4: mm-hmm.
3: and I think that's why i can I can Understand your music, I think, in in a way yeah. that might be different from how other pianists with a totally Western background come uh-huh. to it.
2: Yeah. It might be so. I was just thinking, you know, too. Compo- uh, in a compo- we're talking about Mahler. Yeah. <laughs> I sometimes have the feeling that Mahler's hearing was so uh, precise that a low B flat on an elbow was different from a B natural yeah. or any other note. It was like. Every note of every instrument is a special thing in itself. You know, he's infallible as an orchestrator, the way he mixes these colorations, you know.
1: What would you say are your... Um, your greatest influences in terms of in terms uh, of composition um, Bart- throughout throughout Bartok. the history.
2: Yeah, Bartok was a big... Well, all 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 the music we all love, you know, the classical music. <laughs> but especially Mahler and Bartok, right? Yeah, they, but they later were, later composers, you know, uh, Bartok and Mahler and uh, a Debussy for many. Mm. Uh, you know, well,
0: and what you were talking about with the oboe is just as true as with the piano because mm-hmm. you're dealing with a different length uh, yeah. of string. Mm-hmm. You're dealing with a different length, uh, yeah. Dia- diameter of the string, yeah. and to some extent. I think it might be an intuitive reaction. I don't and, know. Well,
2: it's probably partly uh, uh, thinking, relating it to other music you know. You know, we think we know compositions by Beethoven, we know what C minor is, or the note C is in Beethoven. You know. um, yeah it's, it's, it's inscrutable I, I can't understand it all myself i don't know how
3: what makes you choose a certain key for example george <laughs> to set a piece in i mean your your music is not tonal in the oh, sense of it. yeah but but what what makes <laughs> you choose <laughs> yeah, um yeah. for example that clowns at night is set with a g sharp d a rather than Say a half step lower. That's a different color. Is that what it is in your mind I'm not, I'm that not sets sure, the mood? Really.
2: It's just all by ear, you know. It's just it's a, an instinctive uh, yeah. thing.
3: It's not even something you analyze, right?
2: That's right, and it might be influences that I'm not even aware of. Mm. Uh, you know, other composers. I think I've stolen so much from Bartok. <laughs> you know, I love uh, I love his tritonal construction and his mixture of uh, different intervals in a curious way, his own way, you know.
3: Yes, for example, in Fiddler, right? Because that's supposed to be Eastern European Jewish... Yeah. Well, Bartok wasn't Jewish, but this yeah. modal sound that you get. Yeah. Remember yeah. when you were writing it? I said that part sounds a bit like Bartok. You said, you know. Does it sound too much like Bartok? Yeah. I said, well, yeah. <laughs> and then you changed, you, you, you fixed it up a bit because you didn't want it oh, to, that to be, me, be too Bartok. Thing
2: I couldn't remember when I was talking about Ligeti. You didn't mm-hmm. remember? Because I wrote a early, I wrote a college string quartet, mm-hmm. which was uh, rewriting Bartok. Uh, and somebody, Ligeti had one of his very early works played, you know, and, and people said, you know, that this is, uh, it sounds like Bartok's Quartet Number 7.
0: Mm, nice.
4: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Maybe mine was Bartok's Quartet Number 8, yeah. and then, you know, it was very close <laughs> to that. The impact of, ba- of Bartok at that time was just phenomenal in this country. All the kids were trying to do Bartok.
4: Mm.
0: So you have you you've also have a as a composer you've also been a prolific teacher and a mentor to younger composers. Um, how has yes. teaching impacted your voice as a composer? And uh, I
4: think
2: they were always always separated. I don't think there's any direct uh, connection there. You, uh, you earn your living, you know, and you, <laughs> know, you work with students. I I always enjoy it. I, Never had the feeling that teaching was a total drag or something of like course that. No. <laughs> you know.
4: You've only
1: had some of the, you know, most, uh, most prolific exp- uh, you student know, student yeah, body ben. come out of your work. <laughs> well, well,
2: at Penn, I have to brag a bit. We've had three Pulitzer winners out of Penn. I mean, wow.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: All in all, in the years I, since I was there, but it, it, I'm not saying I had anything to do with. The, <laughs> We, we all work with the student. we passed them around between us, you know so it's not us, it's the students but we, we got some good students
0: well, and good teachers um, you know, <laughs> I think um, I mean, this is a very general question we don't have to go into detail, but like what are the things that you would want a student of yours to experience before they leave your instruction you know, I, because I, I don't think I get the sense you're not trying to ex- make them sound exactly like you. That's not what you want.
2: Uh, you know, the ideal thing is that they all should sound like separate individuals, you know, and have their own
0: music.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, but that's uh, something that can develop rather late. Uh, you know, nowadays, there are no mozarts around. There are no Beethoven's. His Opus 1 is Beethoven already. A little mixture, but not much. It's it's fully Beethoven. <laughs> And Masterful, Masterful Beethoven, already, Opus 1, you know. uh, we don't have that anymore, you know. I think it's because there's so much music out there we have to fight our way through to know what we're even hearing, you know.
4: Yes.
2: Uh, there weren't as many influences. Beethoven didn't know anything about Chinese music. <laughs> <laughs>
3: It's <laughs> so weird. Turkish music, you didn't know.
2: <laughs> yeah, but they had their own version of Turkish music. Yeah, probably. Yeah. It didn't have much to do with Turkish music, but no, at least but they borrowed the, a few instruments. Yeah, the bells. The
3: cymbals. <laughs> <and laughs> <and laughs> the, the yeah.
0: Yeah. It's been wonderful talking with you both. Yeah, I've
3: enjoyed it. It's uh, been a great pleasure. Thank you. <laughs>
2: course, Thank, yes. Thanks so much for getting us all together, Pat, for this discussion.
0: Well, we can't wait for the concert on November 8th at the Barnes Foundation in the Annenberg Court with the Philadelphia premiere of George Crumb's Metamorphoses. We'll see you there.
4: Thank you. Thank, thank you. Thank you.
0: If you would like to learn more about upcoming programs at the Barnes Foundation, please visit our website, wwwbarnsfoundationorg slash programs. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The music used in this podcast is by Long Zijun. Thank you for listening in with us, and we look forward to seeing you at the Barnes Foundation soon.